Geek Bill Radio. I have turned the worlds to dust. All of existence shall be mine. Once again, fellow geeks and geekettes, this is Seth, a.k.a. Xandrax, with a supersized show. I've been saying we were going to do uh, several shows over the last couple days here, and this is the third one we've done in approximately half a week, and this is going to be a supersized show because we are talking the Snyder Cut of Justice League, which, if you have been in hibernation or something to that effect, was released on HBO Max over the weekend, and it's a... Four hour long take on Justice League. Unfortunately, I don't have to do it alone. We got a special guest here. First off, my normal co-host uh, coming from the nice, nice soft padded cell and in the South Kakalaki, Crazy Train Jonathan Bullock. All aboard, ladies and gentlemen. And our special guest, he was here at a previous show talking Superman from South Atlanta Wrestling, Mr. David McKinney. Hey, what's going on? I'm not really sure where to start with this other than when I watched this, I, I literally, I got HBO Max pretty much just to see this movie. And then I found out about how they're releasing a lot of the theatrical films the same weekend as they are in the theater. So I'm probably going to keep HBO Max just for that. But I think it may be the most meta thing I've done, at least as far as geekery. When I sat down and watched this, I actually had one screen on the Snyder Cut and another screen on the theatrical version just to kind of compare them side by side. I don't know if anybody else did that, but that's how I experienced the movie. I, did, I take it you guys just uh, kind of watch it on TV or watch it on your computer like normal? Well, you know me. I do everything through my Xbox One so I can have the big screen. So, yeah, that's what I did. But yeah. I might want to add before you get before, before Dave answers, I did read something, and we'll probably go into more detail on another episode that isn't a review. I think Regal Cinemas, which we all know is really, really hurting because of COVID, uh, I believe they just cut a deal with Warner Brothers, HBO, to where they're going to still release new movies on HBO Max and maybe not opening weekend, starting in 2022. But I'll do some research, and we'll talk about that news next time we do a geek. All right? Uh, okay. Yeah, we we got HBO Max for the same reason, and we're going to keep it at least through this year because of the theatrical releases coming straight to it. And uh, we watched it on the big screen, and I came home and watched it. My son was not in the house with us at the time. He was going to go on a trip. So he watched it with my uh, in-laws, and he had a, about a two-and-a-half, three-hour start, and then I got home and got to start watching it as soon as I left work the day it dropped. So I have not. I have watched the theatrical, the Whedon version, fairly recently, and I actually enjoy that version. It's a nice, fun movie to sit and watch. But I didn't compare them like side-by-side, side, per se, although we did have some discussion afterwards about what was the same, what was different, what we liked, of course. So. Well, yeah. I, I do think one of the nice things about longer movies like this and being at home is your bathroom's there, you can hit pause. You know, I remember going in to see an endgame, and there being stuff on the internet about if you're going to take a bathroom break, here's the point in the movie to do it. And it does seem to be these big tentpole movies, whether you're talking Harry Potter or Twilight or MCU or this DC stuff – they're going to do these mega long movies, and that's just a, an advantage. And, and let's be honest, at nowadays with the flat screens and, and the big TVs that we all have, especially if you've got a sound bar or something, you've got good sound, you pop your own popcorn, you, you buy your own drinks, adult beverages if you want, 
and it's just better at home, in my opinion. Absolutely. It's, it's, see, now, I'm going to split the difference here because okay. everything you said was just true, but everything you said was absolutely true. I like having especially access to my own bathroom, but I must <laughs> admit, and I did like, I think me and my wife paused it briefly after like part two because I need to s- step out for a moment, but... I love a good Coke and popcorn from the movie theater. That's kind of tough to beat. So Yeah, yeah. I'm, everyone knows that listens. I'm a parrot head, and Jimmy Buffett even talks about that in one of his songs. He wants his junior mints. And there's just something about that, that theatrical candy, and you're right. It's a memory for me. A lot of times when I was on the road in my wrestling days, you would get in these small towns early before the show, and if they didn't have a golf course, I always carried my golf my golf trunk clubs with me. Thank you, thank you, Chief Wahoo, for passing that on to me. But uh, if they didn't, if you'd already worked out, you're already on the tan in bed. If they had a small theater, that was a great way to kill two hours, and you had the theater to yourself. So there's there's something to be said for that. You're right, Dave. I can't I can't deny that. For me, the game changers when they introduced reserve seating, which I love, and then the recliners. Those two ah. things right there really step it up. Well, I don't know what you guys got in your part of Georgia. We're just starting to get him here in this part of South Carolina. I know Seth has them. Do you all have the theaters that, that serve like the full meals and wine and beer and stuff? We do have them. I've never been to one of those, though. I, I actual IMAX theater has that. I mean, I've literally, it's a one-stop date night. You have a decent meal and a glass of wine and, and watch a movie. Hey, great. Yeah, we got at least two of them here, and one of them even kind of names their food as after Hollywood stuff, like like right. there's the Bill and Ted nachos or something like that, and you can get a Dirty Harry martini and stuff like that. <laughs> kind of like Cat's Deli doing all the, all the Broadway stuff. Right. I think they're veggie wraps, like called like the Roger Rabbit wrap or something like that. Well, you guys are in Atlanta and Chicago. I'm, I'm stuck here in little old redneck South Carolina. I'm sure you guys are ahead of the curve on us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, getting back to the movie, I think really – the only thing that I think I liked better in the theatrical version was the coloring. The Snyder Cut was darker from a actual coloring and, and, and finishing standpoint. But other than that, I think really just about any, everything else was better in the Snyder Cut. There, there was more humor in the theatrical Joss Whedon version just because Trey and I talked about this last episode where Whedon, he'll, he'll throw you into that deep emotional pit when he kills off a character or something like that. But then he kind of will throw a joke out there to kind of let you catch your breath. And But I really didn't miss the humor in, in this version. What do you say about that, David? Well, my thing about that is the one thing I'll give to... So, again, I'm in the minority in that I really like the theatrical version. I thought it was kind I, of I liked unfairly it maligned. Yeah, I thought it was we, kind we, of unfairly maligned to some degree. But we both I, gave it a good, re- good, good review yeah. when we reviewed it. So, yeah. What, what, I, what I think, though, that the theatrical version does have going for it, and my son disagrees, but... There is something to be said about the investment of two hours versus four hours. Like making a four-hour movie. Here's what I've been telling people. Let's put it this way. I I would like to see Snyder whittle this movie down, not because I felt like it was too long, but just because it feels kind of like a cheat. If he whittled this movie down to two and a half hours, which is like Aquaman's length, and see what you got rid of and what you kept and how it came out if it was more of a regular length feature so in that regard i think the theatrical i mean it's it's just an easy couple hours to sit down and watch but i i do think ultimately even though i like both i would have to give the nod to the to zach snyder's version of the movie well i i i I think this was a vast improvement and when we when we get into the spoiler section i'll talk about why i think it was a vast improvement but like like you said dave like you said seth i didn't think the theatrical cut was bad but it's almost like now that i've seen both of them I give the I give the theatrical release almost an incomplete. You know, when you used to get that on your homework as a kid, 
where mm-hmm. the teachers say, well, it's a good effort, but you need you need to you need to fill this out a little bit. I think that is where the Snyder Cut separated and delineated itself from the theatrical cut. But I guess if we're gonna if we're gonna give it give it a, a, a letter grade or anything, I think I'd have to go back and listen. I think I gave the Justice League a B, a solid B, where the original theatrical, where it was a good, but there was definitely flaws. This one I give a strong A, uh, leaning towards A plus. Not the the best or my favorite. A uh, comic book adaptation, but a very, very strong one. And I am the DC guy, so I kind of, I've got to admit, I'm, I'm a little biased. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. I, I probably would have given the theatrical one probably, a, probably a B minus, and the, this one I, I'd probably go A minus on because the, the stuff that it did better, I think it really did better. And when we get into the spoiler part of the show, we'll, we'll go into more detail about that. So. What about you, Dave? What's your letter grade? I would. I've never really thought much about it. I would. I'm tempted to give the theatrical a B plus or even an A minus, but I would definitely give the Zack Snyder cut an A. Maybe even trending towards an A plus. It does edge it out a little bit, and it's hard for me to give letter grades or stars or things like that because I just don't do that typically. But I feel pretty good about those. Well, yeah, they are. They are definitely, and I think all listeners need to remember this because it's just the age of social media. These are our opinions, ladies and gentlemen. They're very subjective. You might have might have liked it even more than we did. You might have hated it. So, ten thousand word blog post to Crazy Trainer Score JB on Twitter or any or to Seth or anybody else. We'll we'll deal with it. We're, we wouldn't be in this game if we weren't used to that. Absolutely. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will dive spoiler heavy into all things Zack Snyder's Justice League. This is Geekville Radio, and we will be right back. Are you looking for a gaming themed podcast? Check out You Just Got Fragged. Join host Jared Aubrey and his panel of gaming enthusiasts as they discuss news and accomplishments in the gaming world and, of course, the gripe of the week. That's all at YouJustGotFragged.com, part of the Wrestling Brethren podcast family. Spoiler alerts. Spoiler alerts. Spoiler holes that Spoiler holes that Alrighty, as that familiar klaxon signifies, we are now in spoiler territory, and I'm not really sure where to start as far as the spoiler aspect of it. I the, the main thing that I noticed when I was doing my side-by-side comparison is the theatrical version is about two hours long, and the Snyder Cut, there's a lot more scenes of the recruitment of Diana and Bruce trying to talk to the other mem- members of the team, trying to get them to join. That's the extra footage that makes up that four hours, which comes out to when the team first encounters Steppenwolf, when he's going to get what would be the uh, the second box. That's about two hours into the Snyder Cut. So like the first clash between the villain and the heroes happens at about the time the theatrical version is ending. I thought that was kind of funny and just kind of a interesting way to look at the differences as, as, as far as the movie goes, the differences in the movies. And I think we also got a lot more Superman in, in this version. And uh, really, I think Cyborg was depicted a whole lot better in Snyder's cut. So, Train, I'll throw to you as far as you want to start with, the, with what you thought as far as uh, spoiler thoughts. My biggest takeaway from this, without getting into major details, we'll do that later on, is just I felt like there was a lot more exposition and backstory in this version than in the, the, the theatrical. I understand why the theatrical release was what it was, 
no one should have to deal with the death of a child like Zach did, especially the way his daughter died. And so I understand him pulling out. I understand Warner Brothers bringing Joss in, thinking Joss, he did this magic at Marvel and we're behind to them, so bring him in. Like you said, that affected the color palettes, probably different directors of photography that usually who controls that kind of stuff, the way scenes are framed, shot, the lighting, so forth. But I think they did a much better job in the Snyder Cut at giving us a reason to like the heroes and to understand they were the heroes and explain what was going on and why it was. They they abbreviated a lot of things, so things seemed, incom- like I said earlier, incomplete, didn't make sense. As a wrestler and a babyface, the vast majority of my career, anytime I was in a new territory, in a new town, my job in the first match was to explicitly show the fans why I was to, why I was the good guy, why you're supposed to like me, feel sorry for me when I get beat up, cool factor, whatever you want to call it. They did a much better job here. Whether you're talking, first of all, like you said, cyborg, a lot more. It, it's almost a cyborg origin in a lot of ways. We never got any of that. And then the whole scene where where Victor is just tapping into his potential to hack and helps out that single mom, you're like, oh, wow, he's a good guy. I should cheer for him. And they all got that moment. The Flash's introduction, where you see his sense of humor, and he saves Iris, and he grabs the hot dog, which I laughed out loud when he did that. It, you, oh, you, even, even, even Diana, uh, who was already somewhat established from Batman v Superman, we got a little bit more about her and why, what her power set was and why we should cheer for her. We got most of Aquaman in the original, minus the the interaction with other Atlanteans. But he was the only one other than Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman that got any kind of, of explanation as to why we're supposed to like them and cheer for them. Whereas Cyborg and Flash, we we, we finally got some some reasons like, oh, wow, I, they're good guys. That's why I should cheer for them. And so that, that was done much better. That, that's simple storytelling. You know, that's act one stuff. Introduce your villain, introduce your hero, and give people a reason right from the shoot to understand why you're supposed to like this guy or gal or why you're supposed to hate this guy or gal. Like you like to say, Seth, it's like the moment that that Mike Coulter walked on screen in the Netflix Luke Cage, you knew, okay, this is the good guy. I'm supposed to cheer for him. You know mm-hmm. what? They did that here, and that is nice. And we, I think we all, three of us, we're all comic book geeks. We're all very familiar with the source material. So we already know. And and I think this is one where DC Warner Brothers kind of didn't read the room. They assumed, well, everybody knows Superman and everybody knows Batman. So we don't need to give them a reason. And you're right. But those aren't the ones you develop more. It was the lesser known heroes that people don't know. Flash, Cyborg, definitely. Aquaman. Most people know Aquaman. Oh, he's the guy that talks to fish. Well, no, they gave us the Peter David badass Aquaman. And yes, they developed that some in the theatrical, but they did even more here. He saves the guy from, from his drowning ship. He brings fish to this 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 village. It, it's everything they did. Let us say, okay, these are the heroes. Yay. And Steppenwolf, which I, I would be remiss if I didn't add right now, was his look so much better in this one. It's almost, once again, go back to the incomplete the CGI in the original seemed like the CGI was incomplete. This looked like a fully formed and completed CGI. So it's just on looks alone, you're like, yeah, I'm not supposed to. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. David, did you have any thought on Steppenwolf? Or? Yeah, I think it was a much a much improved look to Steppenwolf. My son was not crazy about like his eyes, though they looked kind of dopey, but I just thought overall the look was just so much more like complete is probably the best way, but I think it was just a better look. It looked And it looked more photorealistic than it did in the uh, mm-hmm. theatrical. And the motivation where, where, where we see that he's just a, 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 a lieutenant 
to Darkseid. They don't really go into that in the original. And if you don't know who Darkseid is, who Steppenwolf is, and you walked away from the theater going, well, why was he doing that? What was, yeah. what was, what was his motivation? Whereas they make it very explicit from the get-go. This is who Steppenwolf looks for, and this is why. That's a great point because I actually was, I think yesterday I went somewhere with somebody who is much more of a casual fan of these kind of movies, and he enjoyed the movie. But like he said somebody like, well, they had dark sides. Well, you know, they, he goes, and they said something like, they didn't even mention him in the first movie. I said, well, they alluded to him. He's like, yeah, but if you don't know, like if you're not one of you guys, you that doesn't mean anything. Right. It's it's something that drives me nuts about the current wrestling state is that a lot of the fans live in that bubble. Wrestlers, we live in that bubble, and we don't understand that. And, and this is a discussion we have all the time on this podcast, and I'm usually the one that brings it up. And, and I have to call Seth on it, and Seth is like, you're right. No offense, Seth. Is that we are hardcores. They got our money regardless. Mm-hmm. You're trying to th- cast the net out into the ocean that is wide as possible to bring in the largest demographic. And if you live in a bubble and you make your films or whatever your form of entertainment is inside that bubble, yes, you're going to have a lot of praise online from the ardent fans, but it's not going to make a lot of money. And you're going to have a lot of people who are just casuals go, what was that? Yeah, and definitely agreed on on the dark side and Steppenwolf because even as I was watching the movie, it's like, I got it. I knew who Steppenwolf was, but kind of the way Whedon did it, it, it they – made it look like Steppenwolf was the main baddie. And I just assumed afterwards that they were saving Darkseid for uh, whatever sequel they, they hope to come out of it. Whereas this one, it made it clear that Darkseid's the one we really have to worry about. And Steppenwolf is, is trying to bring that about, you know, he, he, mm-hmm. Steppenwolf was kind of in his eyes, trying to redeem himself by bringing earth to Darkseid or vice versa, letting Darkseid lo- loose on earth. That's and, a good point too, Seth, that I liked that aspect that, once again, more character development and even to the bad guy. Whereas even if you knew who Darkseid was, it's almost presented in the theatrical cut that he's just an underling to Darkseid. They gave him motivation. It was this whole idea that he was trying to redeem himself in Darkseid's eyes. Right. And that point was driven home by Darkseid, by the interaction he had with Desaad, another character we didn't get in the original that is very important to the new gods, Apocalypse, Mythos. But I have to ask you, Dave, is another point along these lines. Is your wife a comic book fan? Does she know a lot about comic books or, or not? She follows the movies, definitely. Like, she didn't grow up reading the comic books or anything like that. But she likes the, uh, like, like you said, the mythos. The, she enjoys the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, I can't, you, you know. The universe I'm, that this exists in, I guess? Yeah, like they always say, it's kind of like our version of, like, Roman, the mythology. Good right. Night. <laughs> yeah, the lore. Like she enjoys the mythology of the comic book universe, like, but typically through the live action movies and the animated movies, I don't know that she's ever read a comic book, okay. but she enjoys the character. You know, well, so. The reason I ask is I don't know if if Seth. Well, I, I'm assuming Seth, you watch this with some of your family members. I'm sure you, like you said earlier, you watch it with your son, and I'm sure your wife, if she wasn't there the whole time, was in and out. Am I the only one that when they give us an incomplete stuff like in the theatrical cut, you as a, as a geek who knows this stuff kind of either gets tired of having to explain to the casuals when they have a queried look on their face or being told to shut up and let me watch the movie because you're trying to do just that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, am I the only one? Am I alone in that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I can relate to both. Well, and it's funny, too, because in some ways I'm kind of in between the hardcore and the casual in that regard. You know, like uh, our friend we were talking about before we came on the air, like knew the mythology far more 
than I did as it relates to some of these stories. Uh, you know, whereas I know the characters, I get that, you know, whatever, and I'm a huge fan. So there were some times where I'm on both sides of it. It's like, okay, wait, explain this to me one more time. What's the significance <laughs> of that? Versus, you know, sometimes people looking to me going, okay, wait, why is that? Oh, people like you know that, but like I wouldn't know that, and they didn't explain that in the middle. Right. As a matter of fact, I have several people in my life who I'm very close with that have just said, I'm not going to watch X movie with you because I know you're going to critique it. I told you the other night, Seth, it's off track for a second, but I hadn't seen Bohemian Rhapsody yet. And I finally got around to watching it because the person who wanted to watch it with me was like, I don't want to hear you tearing this apart. And she knew I would because one of my degrees is music history with a focus on modern music. So, yeah, I, I'm very intimately knowledgeable with the backstory of, of Queen and, and Freddie Mercury and, and how everything went. And I have to allay people's fears that I'm also a writer and a storyteller and a creator, both my other degree in English comp and my wrestling career. I understand the need to consolidate, to tell a story within a, a time frame. So I'm not going to be as critical as you think, but I can be such an asshole. I can see where people in my life can think that might be where I go, but I digress. And you do kind of need that when it comes to movies, because mm. in, in, in comics and in books, it might take a few panels or even a couple pages in a book to describe something that you can do with a voiceover and a 30-second montage in a movie. See, see why Stephen King movies don't add adapt well often to film. <laughs> Stephen <laughs> King takes 15 pages to make something sound terrifying and scary that turns into bad CGI that lasts 10 seconds on screen. It is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, another thing that is definitely noticeable, we got a lot more Superman in this. And I think the reveal of the Justice League trying to use the mother box to resurrect Superman, I I thought it was much better in the Snyder Cut because all they basically did was Flash just said, okay, uh, I know everybody's thinking this, so I guess I'll say it. And then yeah, they had the visual of, of Superman. Whereas in the Whedon version, it's like they had like a five-minute argument on the pluses or minuses as far as resurrecting somebody from the dead. I think it was even Cyborg brought up in the Snyder version. It's a very good thing to bring up about Superman is the mother boxes were staying quiet while Superman was still alive. It's like right. it, Superman was so powerful that the mother boxes knew that they probably weren't going to get found as long as Superman. So those two things alone, I think, made for a, a better story or better mythos or mythology, or whatever you want to want to call it, as, as far as just the, the actual storytelling of the movie. I don't know if you guys had any thoughts on that. Well, it's backstory, like you said. I think that, that we were supposed to, in the theatrical cut, understand that, that the mother boxes have been dormant for these thousands of years because they they sense the, the, the presence of this Kryptonian on Earth, this protector. And they do a much better job in this cut of explaining, oh, and this is why they woke up, because of the scene you're talking about. Exposition. We all hate exposition in movies, but when there's this intertwined of, of, of a backstory and this much mythology, like you said, tied into it. Sometimes we need that exposition. What to say you, Dave? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. So for people who have not heard me on this show before or haven't been to the site and seen me talk about it, I love Superman. Superman's my favorite. He's one of my favorite characters across all media, but he's my favorite comic book hero by far. My second favorite is probably Punisher, so we've kind of got that. <laughs> Both sides of the coin thing here, but it probably yeah. is a spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Superman's somebody to aspire to. Punisher's kind of like that. It's satisfying to see. 
in a fictional universe, unjust Guilt. people get what they deserve. But, Guilty pleasure. <laughs> yeah, so I absolutely, and I think I speak for my whole family, we love the concept of the idea that like when, and I think Batman and the Snyder Cut mentions it, and they're like, how do we know that Superman can even defeat these things? And he said, the mother box has told us. And I was like, that is such a cool concept that they introduced there. The idea that the mother boxes were basically, I think they, I think they use the term afraid. They were afraid of the Kryptonian. And it also kind of makes the end of like, we just finished watching the ultimate edition of Batman versus Superman. Uh, I did too. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not gonna get, some of this. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to get us derailed on, on that movie and my, I'm not even getting my thoughts on it, but I think, Luther's the end of that movie where Luther's talking about the bell being rung mm -hmm. makes a lot more sense when you follow it up with the Zack Snyder version of the Justice. And, and sadly, because of release dates, that shouldn't be something that comes to light in retrospect. That should have been handled better. But like you said, we don't need to get on Batman v Superman. <laughs> I would love to come on and talk about that movie at some point. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> having watched the Ultimate Edition, because I am still very torn on it in a lot of ways, but. If you ever want to, if y'all ever want to chop that one up, I'd be happy to do it someday. We we did a review when it first came first came out, not the ultimate edition, just the theatrical cut. And I think we both once again gave it a a, a passing grade, but flawed. Isn't that right, Seth? Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen the ultimate version yet, but I know it's on HBO Max. So yeah, I'll yeah. I'll take a weekend and watch it a couple times, and yeah, we can we can come back and chat about that as well. Well, you know, you brought up a good point, Dave. It's something I wanted to bring up in our spoiler stuff, and well, you did too, Seth. I wanted to kind of kind of spin off both those ideas as me being the DC guy here and you being the Marvel guy, Seth, we can have this debate back and forth. I've said many times on mic and off mic to friends and associates, there is a marked difference between Marvel and DC. And I know we're talking about DC property right now, but those comparisons are, are invariably going to happen because of the, the size and power and pop culture influence. Both of those comic book imprints have. So Marvel has always been said to be the one that has better heroes and kind of blood villains. And DC kind of has blood heroes, but these great in-depth villains. I think they did a good job here at showing you why the heroes are actually cool in DC as well. And I think that the difference to me, at least, and the analogy I've made, I think I've made it to you before, Seth. I don't know if you've heard me say this before, Dave, is that Marvel's heroes are these human beings with powers, but yet they're still flawed. Peter Parker can save the world, but he still can't pay the rent. Tony Stark could create the greatest tech in the world, but he's still a functioning alcoholic. DC, on the other hand, their heroes are m literally gods. The DC tends to write stuff on a much more grander and epic scale. The comparison I always make is Marvel is Stephen King, DC is Shakespeare. What I mean by that is 500 years from now, when we're all dead and gone and the worms have eaten what was left of us. English classes like I took in college are going to be studying both Stephen King and Shakespeare, but they're not going to be dissecting Stephen King to the level they dissect William Shakespeare. It just is what it is. And so there's just this epic grand scale to DC, and they're, like I said, their heroes are literally gods, and so like you said, Seth, they resurrect Superman. Can you think of a more godlike power than bringing back a, a living entity? No. I know they do that in Marvel with reversing the, the snap, but it's more a time travel sci-fi. It's like literally there's, – there's those elements, of course, here too. But they literally resurrect a dead person, Kryptonian. That's a, that's, I can't think of a more godlike power. And another thing I think where they actually went into the Marvel side of things 
as to what makes them gods, what makes them heroes. And I know I've brought this up before, and we got this with everybody, is DC, not that they don't do this in Marvel, but DC did it really well in this movie. These heroes are heroes because they were raised, to use, a, you know, use an old school term. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Bruce Wayne was raised by Thomas and Martha Wayne, and Clark Kent, Kal-El, was raised by Jor-El, sort of, through secondhand, but mostly by Jonathan and Martha Kent. That means they were raised by a doctor or a healer and a farmer, two of the oldest professions we have in, in, in mankind that both are all about creating and preserving life. And they're both good men, and it showed in their sons. We get this with Cyborg and the, and the backstory in his relationship, which was very well done and was completely get absent from theatrical cut with, with his, his relationship with Silas and his mother. Even Diana, who's raised on an island of women by Hippolyta, she was raised right. Aquaman, he even at the end of the movie leaves to go see his father because his father's who raised Arthur. I know it seems old-fashioned, but I am a firm believer in nature versus nurture being a balance in things, an individual. But they, they really drive home this idea, and I think it's a very deep concept if you want to go down that rabbit hole. These heroes are heroes because they were raised right, because of the, the examples they had in their youth and being brought up. Everybody, Barry and his dad. Why is Barry even doing what he's doing? Because he knows his father is innocent. His father is a good man. And, he, I mean, they go to great lengths to, as he's turning back time, which was awesome, by the way, at the end. It's really tapping into the speed for Make sure that my dad knows that his son was one of the best of the best. It's like, I know you're a father, Dave, so you can really appreciate this. This is, uh, I think, uh, you can develop a complex as a parent wanting to make sure you raise your kids right. But that was really, really driven home here, I think. And, and it's like... It's it, it's so important to who these characters are. Bruce Wayne and, and, and Clark Kent are who they are because they were raised by a healer and a farmer. Two men, two professions that are all about life. And you can't even begin to fully understand the depth of those characters unless you understand where they came from. And I think they did a really good job at everybody's backstory and their upbringing, whether it was alluded to or directly shown, that's who makes them who they are. You got any thoughts on that, Dave, since you're the parent? Yeah. That's one thing, like, for example, I, I do love the, the parent-child dynamic in those movies and, like, the very touching aspects of the, the movie. And I think when we talk more about Superman's return later, I know Seth has some opinions about the father's roles in that. I also feel like I don't know, I don't know how to phrase it exactly because, like, obviously Marvel touches on, like, cosmic issues and, and things like that, of course, right? But it mm -hmm. feels like DC Comics plays kind of like the gods and demons type, mm -hmm. uh, like the grander scale type of a a story better than Marvel does. And, and I can't find the exact right words. Maybe your Shakespeare analogy is the best way to describe it, but it just feels different. It feels, mm -hmm. to me, grander, more regal, maybe. That's how the DC Universe feels to me. And I think Zack Snyder's Justice League kind of touches on that it, it was kind of like watching a comic book lord of the rings you know yes yeah that, mm -hmm. that's a good analogy good the analogy the, yeah the, uh, yeah tolkien stuff i think marvel in the comics does it especially with asgardian stuff but uh, i've said it before i i personally consider it the the the, the cop out oh just make it let's make it science fiction and they do that here where they they talk about the mother boxes are so powerful it's actually science but it seems like magic but i i i i, I just think that you're right in the sense that it, it's it's almost like to make the analogy here, 
it's very similar to like the old Greek tragedy, Greek dramas, where there was definitely a morality tale to be told, but it, it's God. I've always felt myself personally as a, as, a, as a creator myself. You can go for the realism, and I enjoy realistic stuff, but people want to be entertained often to, as a form of escapism. And what more escapism than something so grand that you, you never will attain it, but you strive to attain it? What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, I, I was definitely nodding my head in agreement with that. And, and, and talking about the, the parents and, and the upbringing, we, we did get more Joe Morton as, as Silas in this. So I, just, I was happy because I've been a Joe Morton fan forever. And how the Snyder version dealt more on the strain between Victor and Silas. And of course, I don't think they even, in the theatrical version, if I recall correctly, Silas didn't sacrifice in himself in that like he did in the Snyder Cut. So it there wasn't as much weight as far as Victor kind of forgiving his father for, for doing what he did. And yeah, David, you were talking about uh, Superman. That, that scene where Supes is walking through, I, I think it's the Fortress of Solitude, and he's hearing the words of Jor-El, and he's hearing the words of Jonathan Kent, building him up like this is your moment. That was a moment that was as Superman as you can get because David and I talked about it uh, before when we were talking about Superman, that it's like Bruce Wayne is Batman, meaning Batman puts on the mask of Bruce Wayne so he can be socially acceptable every now and then, whereas (laughs) Clark Kent is Superman. Superman would not be who he he is if it wasn't for Clark Kent's upbringing. And that scene kind of helped showcase that. And like you said, the whole thing of the DC characters kind of being like gods and Marvel characters, some of that's probably Stan as far as creating the imperfect hero. Sure. But yeah, Superman sent to this earth to be a savior. That's obviously there's the biblical analogy you can make with that. <laughs> there's and, a Jesus allegory for sure. And yeah. Zack Snyder accepts that. It, is there more of a Jesus allegory on film than Superman floating in space, shining in the sun in a cross-like position? No. <laughs> right. I'm like, right. well, that's a little heavy-handed, Zack. <laughs> and, and Wonder Woman, at least as far as the comics go, the modern incarnation, she was basically carved by the gods to be their warrior. Again, that's a very godlike thing as as well. So, so yeah. It definitely casts that thing of even gods have to have mentors at some point, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I I think one of my favorite examples of kind of showing the difference of all of them, but the sameness is very simple. I quote Kingdom Come all the time on here because it was mm-hmm. my favorite event in D.C., even though it is an Elseworld. And the postlogue and the epilogue, there's a scene where, where Wonder Woman – Clark and Bruce meet at a, at a diner to have lunch together, and they're all in their human personas. And when the waitress comes and orders her drinks, Clark orders milk, Diana orders water, and Batman orders coffee, black. Can you say anything more about those three characters <laughs> than just on their drink orders? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's interesting to me because I'm assuming we're at the point we can talk about specific scenes here. Or, oh, or yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Before, okay. yeah, before you get before you get going though, David, I have to address the elephant. Is it just me as a geek, and you guys are geeks too? So does that mean that Joe Morton slash Silas Stone is was the Skynet guy from the from the Terminator universe? He's in effect, in effect bringing about the end of the world in both of them by messing <laughs> with technology. He probably shouldn't be messing with, but I digress. Yeah, I made a similar yeah. joke in my head. Yeah, <laughs> what do you think, Dave? <laughs> well, it's an excellent point. I wouldn't know it had we not watched Terminator Two: Judgment Day. I saw that movie when it came out, and never saw it again until like sometime during this pandemic. We sat down and watched it, and I was like, "Oh, hey, there's that guy." 
Mm-hmm. One of yeah. my friends, so, one this of my, would have gone one, right over my head otherwise. One of my friends, uh, we were discussing that as, we were, as I was prepping for this, and he said, I just have to add, it, it, is Joe Morton, is, is, he, is he contracted to die in every role that he plays? I said, well, he did survive as the father of the pest girlfriend in the past, but that was a John Leguizamo comedy, so I don't know if that, that counts. But, yes, it does seem he dies in every movie. That's like maybe it is in his contract. I don't know. Well, he didn't die in Crossroads, but he was basically a demon in that anyway. So He was already mm-hmm. dead. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, David. I cut you off. What, were you, what, what specific scenes were you wanting to bring up? I'm sorry, there, Dave. There was – well, no, it's fine. There was one scene early in the movie that I thought was going to get a lot more meme reaction or uh, scorn, uh-huh. but it kind of worked for me, especially after I watched it a second time, and it kind of touches on the idea we're talking about where normal people in this universe would look at these people as gods, and it was the redone version of Aquaman going back into the ocean to go back to Atlantis, uh-huh. and the girl singing the song and like, kind of like hanging onto his sweater and Mm-hmm. All that, and I thought I said people are going to eviscerate this, and I thought. And the first time I watched, it, I thought it's kind of corny. And I watched again, I was like, you know what? I respect what they're doing here, though. They're setting up that mythology, you know, like, like. And you touched on one of y'all touched on earlier talking about what, what Aquaman meant to those people in that village mm-hmm. specifically. I mean, he really is like a godly type savior character. Like I said, I've watched it twice. That scene, I haven't watched the whole movie twice yet. And I thought, you know what? That kind of works for me, actually. Yeah, I I, I thought that scene personally was one of those that Zach put in there that could be taken on many levels. Obviously, it's an attractive young girl who seems to be swooning over Jason Momoa. That would make her very much in the the majority for women in the world. You know, it's Jason Momoa, right? But then, like you said, there's also the aspect of this is – the Icelandic people are – they're the descendants of Vikings who brought about Norse mythology. These are concepts that will be part of their DNA, so to speak. And the idea of praising our god or gods, goddesses in song is pretty prevalent across the globe, whether you're talking the major religions now or the old, the old school religions, the old gods. What is one-third of, of a Christian church service in any part of the world? Singing hymns. So songs of praise and, so, and that that's just what we as humans do. You're right, Dave. Well, I know, I know we've kind of talked favorite moments. Was there any like major markout moment for, for any of you guys in this one? Because I, I think for me, it was probably when Superman finally made his his presence known uh, against Steppenwolf, because I thought it was done much better in the Snyder version where he kind of comes in at the last second and stops Steppenwolf from hitting cyborg and now granted part of it is it says not impressed right right and now granted i'm a big fan of the black suit as well but because i think in the in the whedon version it's just he just kind of shows up and says oh well i'm a big fan of justice or or, or something to that effect so ha- having superman finally back i shouldn't say finally because it's been one movie having superman finally stare down the the bad guy it, it kind of opens up the third act there. That that was probably my favorite part. I don't know if you guys had anything on that. I like that scene because we got to see him use his freeze breath, which I don't think we'd had seen it yet on film with Cavill. That was kind of cool. But I have two that I'm going to, but I want to hear Dave's first before I tell about my two geek out moments. Well, yeah, so, yeah, so Super Superman's arrival is the big one for me, but I will say it's it's in the form of like a nitpick, but like I didn't love his actual arrival in the battle in either version of this movie. Like, I didn't love, love it, right? Like, I just wish it was a little different, and I'm not going to fantasy book it. I'm not going to be that guy. 
it, they both left me a touch flat. Like, I like the idea of Superman riding in to save the day in both movies, but neither one of the actual, like, first moment you see him in the battle worked for me as well as I kind of hoped. And But I would say that the best part was him just absolutely bullying Steppenwolf. He was giving that dude the hands, man. It was awesome. You can't see me? <laughs> is, that, is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Kind of along that lines, too, when Flash was trying to run in to help uh, subdue soups and they, they do again, that slow motion thing of, and I, and I get why you have to use slow motion with the flash. Cause I'm, I'm not a fan of the, the random slow motion shots that, like you'd see in so many action movies. These Zach, days, but it, Zach, Zach does tend to lean on those a little bit. We saw yeah. in a lot of the extended fight scenes. That is a critique. Have, but anyways, I digress. Yeah. Go ahead, Seth. Yeah. But, but you got that moment where flash is running in and he can see that soups is, like watching him and, and, and reacting <laughs> to him at that. And you get that kind of holy crap moment in Flash's eyes. Yeah. yeah. On the fight itself, before I get on my geek out moments, I, I liked the fact that they removed the idea and concept that there were Russians living on the outskirts of this nuclear fallout area. And now that I've seen the two, I understand why they wanted to drive home that, that Steppenwolf chose this area because it was toxic. He even says that himself. So that that would beg, why would anybody still live there? And I think Joss put it in because he didn't do the backstory we were talking about earlier, and he needed to give a moment to explain, oh, these guys are heroes. So we get the moment of, of Flash and Superman saving these civilians. You didn't have to have that in this because they did such a good job earlier on establishing how badass these – I mean, Wonder Woman stopping the, 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 the terrorists, Aquaman, Flash saving Irish. You didn't need this now. You didn't need this. And, and I, I dare say – in their theatrical cut, if you're if you're well into the third act and you're having to establish the heroes as heroes, you've missed the mark. Oh yeah. But anyway, I digress. That's to get off my soapbox. I had several minor geek out, one major geek out moment. I, I was really really cool to see the extended fight scene with the first time Darkseid shows up. You know the flashback scene that Diana has as she's ex- exposition once again explaining to Bruce what happened. And we get to like so you get to see the Green Lantern, which is awesome. We get to see. Actually, more of the quote-unquote old gods, the Greek gods, the Zeus, and how cool was it to see Ares like just bury his battle axe in, in, a, in a dark side shoulder and injure him? That was kind of cool. So I geeked out there. Another geek-out moment I had was an example of Zach does do comedy, but he doesn't depend on it like Joss, where it stayed in character and it made the Flash still the comedic relief, but it was much more subdued. It was Bruce just casually saying, I'll, I'll check him on the satellite. And then Barry going, you have a satellite? And Bruce's response, I have six. You know, <laughs> just real matter of factly. It was meant to be a comedic beat, but it wasn't like quirky over the beat. It, it literally is. It's the kind of thing that, that Barry would ask, and it's the kind of response that Bruce would give. It fits within the character. But I'm sure you can guess, Seth, knowing me, what my ultimate geek out moment was. In this. You want to take a guess, Seth? Why, well, I, I would imagine it would have something involving Batman. Nope. Oh, okay. Nope. Martian Manhunter. <laughs> oh, why didn't I? I should have. <laughs> <laughs> you know my love of Jean Jones. Yeah. And and how they set it up with Martha visiting Lois and then walks out and, it, and the eyes start glowing. At first, I thought I couldn't. I didn't know who it was. And then it then the, the melt away to, to Jean Jones and then the melt into, in, into the Harry Lennox, the actor. You remember that moment in Endgame? where we realize it can wield Mjolnir and does the Avengers mm-hmm. assemble. Remember the response you had to that, Seth, because you're such a Cap oh, yeah. fan? 
That's the same response I had to, to Martian Manhunter revealing himself in the hallway. Yeah. I literally went, Sweet! I just, I just laughed yeah. literally. I was like, yes, yes, John Jones. For a second there, Crazy Train was a, an eight or ten year old boy watching yeah. his Saturday morning cartoons, losing his stuff. I should have thought of that because we we talked about you having a similar moment in the first season of Supergirl when John Jones finally revealed himself. In yes, yes. <laughs> For the you don't know this, Dave. Some of our listeners might not. I'm a big fan of capes. And so the cooler your cape in the comics, the higher you are. So that's like John Jones, Captain Marvel, Shazam, Doctor Strange, Spawn. These are great capes. Batman. I don't know if you have an opinion on capes, but I'm just saying. I'm I'm a fan of capes. I am a fan of capes, so I get it. So yeah, and I, and I thought they did an okay job. Visions is another cool one in the comics. Thought they did a good job with Martian Manhunter's cape in this one. But none of them outside of the bad CGI and the Spawn movie have really, I felt, hit the aesthetics that you're going to get in the comics. Though I will admit Doctor Strange, and I'm biased because he's one of my favorite Marvel characters, was great as the comic. I mean, I've, I've, I've said before, how awesome is that movie when they give a freaking piece of carpet more personality than some movies do in all their characters? But I digress. <laughs> yeah, it's like you could build a cape as a supporting role. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, the cape in Doctor Strange is the comic relief. It is, but anyway. Yes, I I, I totally mark on John Jones. And and the thought that wherever they go with this, the, the strong likelihood that he's going to return has me very excited. Because one of my favorite scenes in the comics, in the actual comics, and both of you guys will appreciate this because you're both Superman fans, is a scene where the first time Clark meets John and... I believe it's it's Arthur and Batman are having a discussion kind of in the corner of the panel. And often, the, and, and like silhouetted in the other side of the panel, is just Clark and Jean talking. And this immediate bond that these two guys have. And you start to break it down, you realize these guys are literally the two most powerful entities on Earth. They're the last sons of their dying planets. There is just going to be a relationship the two of them are going to have that no other heroes can replicate. I've always liked that dynamic. And their power sets, fire versus kryptonite, maybe the only difference. And, well, Martian Manhunter can phase and Superman can't, but Martian Manhunter doesn't have the freeze breath. They both have, you know, beam powers. But just it's just this whole idea of the last son of Krypton, the last son of Mars – I, I think you can see what I'm saying about the the bond the two of them would have. And it's done so well without even saying one thing in the comic. Just the silhouette of the two of them. You, you, you tell, These guys are bonding on a level I can't even imagine. And really with Manhunter, he is one of those guys, as I like to put it, if he really wanted to, he probably could make Superman say, ow. He, he is one of the more underrated as far as just the, the sheer mm-hmm. power he has. What do you think, Dave? Do you think Marshall Manhunter could make Superman say, ow? Oh, yeah. I have no doubt about that. I have no doubt about that. I will say I like the after credit seat. I did not love the posing as uh, Martha Kent aspect. I thought that was felt a little unnecessary and tacked I just on. I, that wasn't. It was just the reveal. That's what I liked. <laughs> right, yeah. No, see, I get that, but I I, I did like at the end because, like you know, you saw that. I think in the last trailer you saw that footage of Manhunter coming down to speak to Bruce, and I assumed it was Superman in the trailer yeah. and so that i thought that was pretty cool i thought it was a nice way to of course it did introduce the meme that basically he's like wong from the uh <laughs> infinity, like all right y'all are gonna go fight all you know shows up when the work like a blister shows up when the work is done so 
There's somebody well, said for that, but it was, I, I did get a kick out of it. I was glad they introduced him at the end. My, my understanding and some of the research I did is that Snyder actually originally won. And I don't know if this is in the reshoots or in the original before we had to leave the production. He originally wanted that scene to be the how Jordan Green Lantern and he wanted to cast Ryan Reynolds, but Warner Brothers said no. I think they're, they're trying to uh, move themselves as far away from that movie as possible. And let's be honest. I love Ryan Reynolds, and Marvel found the perfect guy who was literally born to play Deadpool, but they need to recast Hal Jordan. I'm looking forward to anything they do Green Lantern in the future, but Ryan Reynolds has found his place as Deadpool. They need to find somebody else to play Hal Jordan. That's my opinion. What say you, Dave? Yeah, I'm trying to think of the kind of guy they need to play Hal Jordan. I'm going to have to ponder this, and I will uh, get back to you all on that. But yeah, I know what you mean. Like He, he doesn't hit the, quite the right notes to be Hal Jordan. Uh, one, I, I threw him in as one of my original picks for, for, for Captain America before Chris Evans was, was eventually cast. He's a little, might be a little too old now, but he might work because Hal's you know, in his 30s. What about Josh Hartnett? What do you think about him? I don't think he'd be bad. And my son just mouthed one to me that's going to sound completely strange. But does anybody here watch NCIS? If not, okay. anyway. Oh, yes. Yeah, big okay. fan. He, he said to me, t- the guy who plays Tony Denozo. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Mike, Michael, kind of, Mike yeah. Weatherly. Mike Weatherly, yes, yeah. Thank you. He's kind of got the right vibe you're looking for. Let's put it that way. So yeah, good shout and, on him. And, 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 and whoever you get to play Guy Gardner, he's got to be a douche. <laughs> that That is who Ryan Reynolds should have played in the in the Green Lantern. <laughs> not not Hal Jordan, but, you know. Yeah. yeah. Good yeah, call but on that one. For any future Green Lantern. Yeah, he is the perfect Deadpool. He would have been a great Guy Gardner. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. who doesn't want to see Batman knocking him out with one punch? On yeah. Film. <laughs> yeah, for any future Green Lantern, the only thing I hope for is we get an Alan Scott cameo with uh, Sean Bean playing him because I think that'd be perfect. I want Kilowog, yeah. and if they want it, uh, and sadly the, the Kilowog we got was voiced by Michael Clark Duncan, who's no longer with us because I can't think of anybody else who would have been a better voice for Kilowog than Green Mile guy. But oh well. <laughs> but, but, but back to my point, the reason that they put that scene in with Martian Manor was just a replacement because they couldn't get Green because they didn't want to do Green Lantern. I, I, I didn't I okay. didn't explain that well enough. But anyway, yeah, yeah, because I did see some some feedback online from people saying that 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 felt like more like it would be a, a Green Lantern moment. And I just kind of thought, eh, but but yeah, I, I seem to recall reading it there that uh, people thought it felt too, I don't know, forced, but that it, it didn't feel organic enough to have Manhunter do that. And hey, if it was meant to be Green Lantern, then then yeah, I, I guess I can kind of see that. Well, on a related note, when when Alfred, Bruce, and Diana decide to set up Wayne Manor as the Hall of Justice, with room for more line about, the, is it just mm-hmm. me or is stately Wayne Manor not looking so stately these days? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was like, wow. But they, don't they don't they establish in the in the Batman v Superman that that, that he's kind of let that the old manor run down. That's why he has the house on the lake. Am I wrong? I can't remember. I just watched it, and I don't recall specifically. I know they were talking I, I about did, it. I did too, but I think that was in the original, not the Ultimate Edition. I can, you know, right, but so. it, it is odd, though, because it's like it really does make me, as far as all the stuff in this, especially this cut of the movie that makes me want to see a sequel, one of the things I really want to see just as a fan is to see a fully set up and fully formed uh, Hall of Justice. I think it would be pretty sure. cool. Well, they did, I think they did a great job with the Bat King, so I think they could do a good job with that. Yeah, I thought it was kind of funny how Flash is kind of geeking out at some of the stuff. He's just like, wow, it's a cave. It's like a bat cave. And, of course, the infamous, so what's your superpower? I'm rich. Right, right. And, of course, they, they did leave in the scene where we see the Jason Todd Robin costume with the spray painting on and that look on Bruce's face. Or actually, I think that was in, in Batman v Superman. But if Bruce has any regrets in his life, he has probably has four. 
and they're all on equal par. Did he let his parents die? Did he let Jason Todd die? Did he let Barbara get shot and have her back broken? And did he let Harvey become Two Face? He equally feels the, the 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 pain. As my friends in my 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 work field point out, that are therapists, Bruce Wayne is a is a therapist dream because he is a he is a, a just a just a textbook of neuroses and psychoses all wrapped up in one and he kind of is isn't he yeah yeah i mean and just about all the big things you can think of when it comes to mental health things ptsd i'm sure he's got it yeah 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 you, you don't have to go to war uh, or the war front to, to to be affected like that and let's be honest batman has short of going and signing up and fighting in a war he's seen just about everything you're going to see in a war. But I did think, Trent, I know we, we've talked about this a little bit off mic, that the Ezra Miller Flash is probably a little more comic accurate than the Grant Gustin Flash. And, and I know I, I love the TV show as much as the next guy, the Flash TV show, but I think the movie did a little bit better at showing Barry Allen as being a bit more of an outcast. Because the, mm-hmm. way, the way they uh, portray him in the Flash TV show, he seems like a kind of a cool guy that you wouldn't mind hanging around. And it's not that mm. Barry Allen wouldn't be bad to hang around, but that that whole thing of when Batman tries to recruit him and Barry's like, yeah, I'm in, really. Right. I, I need friends. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think everybody went to high school with uh, one or two of those quote-unquote cool nerds that, that hung out with the popular kids, even though they were nerdy. They were into comic books and they made good grades and stuff. And that, that's kind of where, the, where they went with the Grant Gustin. That his Barry Allen is the cool geek from Kid, whereas the more comic accurate, like you said, is the Ezra Miller's, where his geekery has caused him to be an outcast. I know you've spoken on Mike before, Seth, about you kind of can relate to that more. Yeah. I relate more to the to the Grant Gustin because I definitely liked geek culture, but I was probably, quote-unquote, popular more because I was a jock. But those are tropes that are never going to die in, in teen movies, but we all know that. So it was cool, too. Speaking of the Flash, the trailer had that cool scene where, where Barry was touching the glass and breaking it. We never got in the theatrical. Now we finally got it when they added in his saving of Iris. So we, we, well, that was kind of cool to see. And, and I think, once again, I think Zach did a good job at making Barry the, the comedic relief, but not to just every five seconds like he was in the Joss Whedon. What's your thoughts on that, Dave? We thought, and I speak for everybody in this household, we uh-huh. thought they struck a better, and I think we all talked about this earlier in this discussion, I think they struck a better balance and a more natural feeling type of comedy in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Organic, which is, which is a good yeah, term, you think? It, yeah, I just think it, it just felt better, and it, it, it still allowed the movie to feel like an epic adventure, but it had some light moments, because obviously you don't want to make it, make it a chore. Comic books shouldn't be a joyless chore, not these kinds at least. And that being said, talking about taking out some of the jokes, one of the frustrating things to me is, as much as I like the Zack Snyder Justice League, apparently some of my favorite scenes in the theatrical version were ones that were added by Joss Whedon. The uh, conversation between Alfred and Batman, um, I'm sorry, Alfred and Bruce Wayne, and he's talking about uh, Bruce thinks that Alfred's insinuating the team needs Clark because he's strong, and he, he kind of barks at him and says, he's more human than I am. Like, I thought that was a great scene. It, it is a, it's a good line. It's a good line. Yeah, he's more human than I am. The world needs Superman. The team needs Clark. It's kind of a shame that line had to go because I thought that was a perfect scene. But I think one of the things, you know, we talk about how Cyborg and Flash both got a nice shine in this cut of the movie. I think Mm -hmm. Batman did, too. I think Batman feels a lot more natural and 
it feels like he keeps the promise he makes to Superman on it. When Superman, he's basically at the end of Batman versus Superman, basically, I let him down in death. I won't, I won't let him down. Or I let him down in life. I won't let him down in death. It, it feels like this Batman, that feels like the same character went from that movie to Zack Snyder's Justice League, where credit to my son for pointing this out. He feels that uh, the Batman in the theatrical version feels like a total departure from what you had in the, in the previous movies. Well, I think that's an example of two different directors' visions where Snyder, I think because of what you're talking about, the story arc for Bruce Wayne Batman and where he was going was established in Batman v Superman. And we see it fully formed and completed because he goes from being this, this cynic and doubter in Batman v Superman to slowly, he even says it, I'm going on faith, Alfred. He's become almost a beacon of hope, which is an unusual uh, way to cast Batman. But you can see through all the things that have happened up to that point in in the movie and Batman v Superman, why he's at that point now in his life. Joss didn't do that. So we didn't get that, that, that completion of the story arc. But once Zach got back on board, he was able to complete the story arc that he established in Batman v Superman. And, and it's an inherent flaw being Seth had talked about it a, a lot in a lot of the movies we reviewed where there's a, there's a change midstream and directors that sometimes happens. It's what we both feel has happened in the, the, the latest trilogy of star Wars movies. Whereas the, the originals and the prequels, George was, was helming everything. Now he's not, and so they're a little bit listless and without direction. And each individual screenplay writer and director kind of wants to go their own way, so it makes for a bit of a convoluted mess. You, get, you had that fixed with that. But you're right about the line about he's more human than I am. That could, should have been retained because I think it adds to that, set, that, that story arc that I'm talking about. You know? Yeah, it helps demonstrate what an aspirational character Superman is. Mm-hmm. You even have Barry saying he's my hero. You know, they tells Victor that when they're digging up his body, which I thought and was it, a very nice touch to have them, them to illustrate that Barry like idolizes Superman because of course he will. And I don't understand because he says it in both the theatrical and the and the Snyder cut when Flash tells tells Victor we could do this in a nanosecond. Why didn't they then? <laughs> I mean, he's right with their powers. They could have dug him up in like what a, a second or two. But yeah, I I don't understand that either. I mean, maybe they were afraid of making a scene or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're out in the uh, middle of nowhere, Smallville. How could they make I, a scene? I think in the theatrical cut, they kind of tackle it a little better, actually. And for some reason, I saw some one of these websites, like I don't remember which one, so I won't name names, but they wrote an article and they said, well, he finally explains in the Snyder Cut why they don't do it faster. I was like, well, no, if you watch it. the theatrical version, he references, it, he references it actually more directly in the theatrical version. He basically says, it feels like, he goes, you know, we could do this faster, but it feels like, where it's kind of dark, it's macabre, you know. It's, so, it's so his explanation of theatrical is it was it would just it would be disrespectful, right? So both of them tackle why, but for some reason, whoever wrote this article apparently forgot that they do touch on it in the theatrical. So in both yeah, versions, not, they explain, but you know, yeah. whatever. Well, that that brings me back around to the Flash. Uh, one thing, another thing uh, is on the final battle there, and I guess they don't. I can't. They remember they said the town, but I can't remember. But it's obviously supposed to be Chernobyl, right? It's something I liked about I talked about it in the in in Infinity War where Marvel did a really good job at giving each one of the heroes based upon their power set to have a moment, whether it's Groot sacrificing his arm so that Stormbringers can be made or Bucky where's the fight when he sees the arm. Each one of them gets their own little beat. You didn't really get that theatrical, but but now with this, 
everybody is a fully formed hero by the time we get to Act 3 in the final battle. And we've been reminded in scenes like this, we could do this much faster. The true potential of everyone's ability. Yes, they'd already established them, like with the great scene where, where Diana saves the kids in, in, in the terrorist stops terrorist attack. But now, I mean, Batman, he, it's his tech and his strategy that breaks the shield. It's Aquaman and his, let's be honest, the badass that he can be. It's Flash tapping into the speed force and literally saving the day by making time go backwards. It's Cyborg actually hacking into the mother boxes. So they're all fully formed now, and we get to really see each one of them's powers. And, and, and we didn't get that in the original. You got any likes or dislikes to that aspect, Seth? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it kind of goes back to what I said before about Superman running in at the last moment with Steppenwolf. But yeah, that's, that's something that these ensemble cast movies need. Because especially when dealing with characters like these uh, these icons for, for DC and uh, even for the Marvel movies where you're going to have the people that are seeing the movie where their favorite character is one in this team. And if that character winds up being a wallflower, well, you're kind of letting those fans down. Mm-hmm. And having those moments like Flash with a little bit of the humor or like you said, you're re- reversing time and such. It, it just it helps ensure that you you have those moments to make those fans happy. Am I, am I the only one who, when Barry starts making time go backwards, I can hear Jenny's voice going, run, Barry, run. She said, run for us, run. I just had that go through my mind when he's realizing what he has to do. I guess that's my own twisted sense of humor. <laughs> run, Barry, run. That's pretty spot on. It also, also brings up the fact that you and I like to bring up all the time, Seth. Anytime we watch anything fantastical, comic book or not, and something seems to be askew, the first question we ask is, what did you do, Barry? <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. I, I've even had that at, at, at my job because I'd, I'd walk into work and the something was rearranged in the office. And I just say out loud, Barry, what did you do? And there's people at work yeah. that get the joke. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I'm also often using the what would Harley do? <laughs> and I don't mean Harley Quinn, ladies and gentlemen. I mean Harley Race. <laughs> Whenever right. something really screwed up at work, how should we approach this? What would Harley Race do? What? <laughs> Never mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I prefer sure what you... would Bruiser Brody do? Well, <laughs> either one. That works, too. That works. Too. Well, he'd probably just, uh, you know, no show the and still take the money. But I digress. I don't want to speak ill of the dead. <laughs> I'm a no fan of Bruiser Brody. Saying that. <laughs> I, I, I have, I'm, I'm a fan of Bruiser Brody. I respect him for the guts he had to stand up. But this isn't this isn't Wrestling Brethren or Classic Wrestling Memories. This is Geekville. I'm sorry. We'll get back on track, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> now, one thing that's worth noting as far as the production is the vast majority of the added scenes were from existing footage one of the few things that was added that was filmed just for this was the added scene with the joker and did you guys have an opinion on that because that took place in what you might call the nightmare reality which is supposed to be Mm -hmm. in the future i actually liked this depiction of the joker better than the suicide squad one i don't know if either of you guys had an opinion on that well before you get to that scene we get a different version of of deathstroke showing up on lex Luthor's boat before that that one upsets me because I think that was Snyder kind of trolling us because we all know that was meant to set up what was going to be the standalone Batman movie that Affleck is not going to happen now. But it's intriguing because in the original, you basically got Luthor inviting Slade to join the uh, League of Doom. Whereas this one, instead, he's giving 
Slade the information of who Batman really is. And as a as all three of us are Batman fans, isn't that a, a tantalizing uh, teaser, so to speak? The idea of Deathstroke actually knowing who who Batman is. Do you not see the the, the, the potential in that? What about what do you say, Dave? Yeah, I think it's a pretty cool twist. And to Seth's point about the Joker, I like the way the Joker was depicted, especially since it's apparently highly unlikely we'll get a continuation. I didn't entirely think the whole what is it nightfall you know yeah night thank you uh was was necessary you know it was kind of kind of wonky especially mara's uh accent which thankfully they dropped i guess for aquaman (laughs) that was very that was very uh, off-putting the way she spoke it was definitely like very uh, asgardian you know well, it, it, once again, like we talked about earlier, with you, this shouldn't be stuff that you get in retrospect. That's what happens when you do stuff like this. But because we see Barry in his new suit and we see him more fully formed in this nightmare setting, now we understand the his his appearance in that vision, which we know now is him going back in time, going to Speed Force from Batman v Superman. Once again. It's Zach being able to complete a story arc that he laid out, but was not able to finish because of what happened with the theatrical, you know? Right. So we, I, yeah. So I definitely respect it from that regard, but it's almost like it opens up a whole new thread you want tied off now. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but it, it, that's why I said, I think Snyder was trolling us with it. Yeah, I, 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 he's like, this is what you could have had. Yeah. Yeah. I think what it is. Kinda, had. It's a little bit of a middle finger to, I don't know so much as the fans. I think it's almost the middle finger to Warner brothers going, okay, here you go. Because now the fans are going to see this and they're going to be salivating for it and they're going to let you know because this is the age of social media. So screw you. I think that's what he was doing. Yeah. And I'm, it brought up a whole uh, new slew of hashtags this past week. Sure. I, I, I will say this. One thing I think I still am very conflicted about Jesse Eisenberg's portrayal of, of Luthor. Like you said earlier, Dave, the way they showed him with the bells ringing when he's in Arkham at the end of Batman v Superman we were beginning to see what I consider Lex Luthor. He was totally legitimately Lex Luthor on the scene on his yacht, talking to Slade. That, from the suit to the way Eisenberg was sitting with his legs crossed, his delivery, that's the Lex Luthor of the comics. Am I, I, do you disagree with that, Seth, or not? Oh, it, it was much better. I'd heard the rumor that Warner Brothers actually wanted Brian Cranston, was Snyder that convinced them to hire Eisenberg. I don't know if that's true or not. That's a rumor that I had heard. But Cranston yeah. would have been awesome. Cranston yes. would have been incredible. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I'm glad we got the much more subdued, much more controlled Luther because that, that was my biggest issue with the Batman Superman version was he was much more erratic, a little crazy. He, he was almost like they were trying to make Riddler. Luther. In, yeah, he was the Riddler. Yeah, they were trying to make him more Riddler-like or more Joker-like. And I just, that's never been Lex Luthor to me, even going back to the pre-crisis Luthor, who was basically a mad scientist. It's like there was always something uh, a little more maniacal and a little more controlling about it. Yeah, I thought that, that oh, what's his name, Max, Mac, Max Strong, is that his name? The British actor who played Dr. Shivana and Shazam. Which Savannah in and, and Luther have a lot of similarities in the comics. He was more Lex Luthor like playing Doctor Savannah in that film than Jesse was the first two thirds of Batman v Superman playing Lex Luthor. That's just my opinion, you know. But uh, to your question on the Joker, I do think he worked more effectively than the Suicide Squad Joker, though I've defended that Joker before as to why they did what they did. I, I agree with you, Dave, that it seems like it's a carrot dangled that is not going to be paid off, which is questionable at best. But I did like the fact that. You notice that the front of his body armor that he was wearing, the, the, the Kevlar, he had like a thousand 
cops badges. <laughs> and I'm going, okay, we all know that, that Joker probably killed all those cops to get their badges. But this idea that it's so dystopian in this future that Deathstroke and Joker would throw their lot in with Mira and Barry and Bruce and that the Barry, Bruce, and Mira would accept them should tell you how desperate times are. And let's be honest, if things really got to the level where Darkseid came to this earth, he did use the anti-life equation, he turned it into apocalypse, and he turned Superman bad, and Joker was still alive. Even though we couldn't trust him, you'd still want Joker on your side in that fight, wouldn't you? Well, if nothing else, you wouldn't want to have to worry about. So Right. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. if nothing else, you, you keep your you keep your friends close and your enemies closer kind of idea. Is that what you're saying, Dave? Absolutely. Absolutely. All puns intended, he's the ultimate wild card. Because you just don't know what Joker's going to do. I agree with both of you, though. We're not going to see that. Like I said, I think that's that big middle finger that Zeth Sack's doing to, to Warner Brothers. Going, yeah, okay. But I know this. My female friends are upset because they were looking forward to a film where you had Ben Affleck, Jason Momoa, and Joe Magniella all the same movie. They're like, mm, that's tempting. <laughs> but that's the typical response for all three of those actors with the ladies. But I digress. Well, it goes back to when I saw Man of Steel and there was that m- moment where Clark climbs out of the lake shirtless. And I heard the, the ladies in the row behind me. It's like they, they weren't very loud, but you kind of heard that little snicker. Yeah. That little, Ooh. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, she did add, this, this one female friend did add in, in her Cavill, too. And it's like, yeah, every time I see Cavill without a shirt, I'm like, he does not miss core. He, he, he works his core out hard. He's th- jealous. But anyways. <laughs> uh, one other markout moment, I forgot to mention this earlier for me, and, and it's just me personally, but close to the end, a- after the big battle in the third act, we did get a glimpse of Batman sitting on the tank from Dark Knight Returns. Mm-hmm. Because there there was that epic moment of Batman in his tank shooting the rubber bullets at the mutants. And I, mm-hmm. I just thought it was pretty cool that we at least got that one. Because the way Snyder had Batman look, as as far as the the Aesthetics. mask and the way the suit looked and all that, it was very much inspired by Dark Knight Returns. And of course... He had a big oversized bat on the, on, on the chest. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and just the, the, the way the ears looked and such. So I, I was... Uh, Cool with that. Was there any, any other particular moments? Because uh, I think we'll probably start winding down and get into the next segment. I've got one thing that there. It's two things really, but they're both related to Wonder Woman. And they and I'm going to preface this by saying these are nitpicks. These are nitpicks. So I acknowledge that. So if somebody's sitting there going, "I can't believe this guy's complaining about that," look, it's just I'm uh, telling you right that's, up. That's that's what these type shows are for, Dave. Go ahead. I'm telling you right up front, they are. I did not like the little musical flourish they decided to do with the Wonder Woman every time she went into battle. I thought that did not land well with me at all. Oh, the you mean that like, kind uh, of a riff that sounded like thing. immigrant song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did not work for me at all. And then I think unanimously in this household, the scene in what the theatrical version where Steppenwolf wants to fight Wonder Woman on his own, and she says something like, I think you overestimate yourself. I thought that was a pretty good line. I think in this version, he says she belongs to me, and she says I belong to no one. And like to a man, you know, me, my wife, and my son all said it felt a little try hard. That line didn't land quite as well for me. So she, she didn't stick the landing little, on that one. Yeah, those are two little Wonder Woman things I didn't like, but I do enjoy uh, Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman and all that. And I like oh, Wonder yeah. Woman, and I liked how they dispatched Steppenwolf in this movie. Kind of a team effort was pretty cool, and she was obviously a big part of that. But uh, yeah, those two little moments just were something I had jotted down that just I don't know. And I, I've rewatched some of those scenes again, and 
that that music just it I don't it just felt try hard is the only word I can think of. It was just like it was trying entirely too hard by having that music play every time she went into battle. It was kind of kind of goofy. Well, let me say this. I think Gal Gadot is probably in my top three most beautiful women alive today. With that being said, Linda Carter, who was my first celebrity crush, will always be Wonder Woman. Not that Gal Gadot does a bad job. My goodness, Linda Carter's in her 70s. She's still stunning with the blue eyes. She was a Miss Universe, I think, or Miss World or something. She's a beauty queen. So I understand that. As far as the music goes, <laughs> I think, just my opinion on that, first off, I have, I have a couple of friends who would disagree. They love that Wonder Woman that Junkie XL does. It's kind of like symphonic European dance hall music. Club music is the best way I can describe it. Well, he is a DJ. So anyway, I kind of relate that to the interest music and wrestling. You guys are both wrestling fans. You want music that as soon as that first chord hits, you instantly know who's coming out. You know, like you hear, you hear the breaking glass, you know, it's stone cold, right? So I think that's what they were trying to do there. And I, I, would, I would add, if they were going to do that, and I, I totally think your, your critique of the song is, is – is valid. I would much prefer the old cheesy seventies wonder woman theme from the TV show. If you're going to do that, then why not have themes for all of them? And especially the iconic John Williams, Superman theme and the Danny Elfman, iconic Batman theme. So every time they were introduced on screen, throw that in real subtly, then you'd have to have your composer write one for Aquaman, cyborg and flash. But I got no problems with that I'm a star Wars fan. When you hear the Imperial March, you know, Darth Vader's coming. When you hear Luke's theme, you know, it's Luke. So what is, what's the ye on the musical cues there, Seth? Oh yeah. Yeah. I agree. And of course with, with Superman, that Superman, you, uh, this is getting a little bit into the musical terms, but I think most of our listeners will understand Superman, the, the music being all in major kind of marches and then the bat and then Batman, you have it more of the minor to, to kind of mm-hmm. get those scary notes to kind of intertwine those, I think would have been really pretty, pretty darn cool. And, and and I guess really you brought up nitpicking there, uh, David, and it is nitpicking for me. If I had to about something, it's that Steppenwolf, Desaad, and Darkseid—they all kind of had that really deep, accentuated, amplified. You know, they all had that voice, and right. it's like if you weren't watching, you like you might not have even thought that they were different characters talking. But yeah, but again, James James Jones chain smoking three packs of cigarettes before he records the lines—that kind of voice. <laughs> right, right. And now, now, granted, I've been a fan of Michael Ironside forever. And I thought his, his take on, on dark side was perfect, but when they have to rely on the, the reverb and the, the, the kind of the rumbling of the voice to make it sound more alien, it, it loses me a little bit. But again, it's like, as I like to put it on the list of things that annoy me, that's pretty low on the list. I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of granny goodness. And I was shocked. They did not give, she was, whoever was playing her was uncredited. There was no credits for who granny goodness was. And she's the only major side lieutenant that he got no speaking we just saw her standing next to him but i digress yeah yeah i don't think we had calabac either but that's just going for that's true we, we didn't we didn't get him at all what were you gonna say dave i'm sorry i cut you off i was just asking no it's like i was just gonna say it's almost like it's kind of a seth's annoyance is kind of similar to the idea of like those transformers movies where all the decepticons look so similar you can't tell them apart right. it's like you want a mm-hmm. little more variety in voice if nothing else i i wonder if the choice in reverb at least on dark side you would think he would speak with a booming voice that almost moves mountains because of just his sheer power. But I think you can do it in a much more reserved because I think that Marvel did that with Josh Brolin's voiceover for Thanos, where he had this menacing feel that was powerful, but without the. Re- Is that kind of what's more what you were thinking, Seth? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Where it's more the voice itself rather than the effects added to. The- right, exactly. But I thought, all in all, what was the, what was the what was the gentleman's name that voiced 
Dark Side, Ray something. I want to say yeah. Ray Parker. But yeah, that was... it was like he was like Ray Porter or something. <laughs> yeah, Ray Ray Parker's Ghostbusters. <laughs> but I thought he did an admirable job, other than than the effects added to his voice. What about you, Dave? Did you like his voice work? Yeah, I thought it was solid. No, no okay. problem there. Okay. Well, you want to take a break, and then we'll come back and speculate, speculate, speculate. Sounds like a plan. Attention all Time Lords and ladies. Geekville Radio presents Examining the Doctor, a weekly look at everybody's favorite Time Lord, the Doctor. Join Mark and Seth as they bring their signature blend of knowledge and humor to favorite and not-so-favorite episodes of Doctor Who. From Hartnell to Capaldi, Examining the Doctor provides episode commentaries for classic and current Doctor Who fans alike. Examining the Doctor, available on iTunes, Stitcher, and at geekvilleradio.com. All right, we are back. Last segment of the show here. We're going to be talking where the future might hold for the DC movie universe because I think the big thing that all three of us kind of touched on is this is kind of uh, created almost like a multiverse as far as the movies go. Really, the DC movies of the past 30 years were all kind of self-contained. The, the Batman movies were separate from the Superman movies and such. But now that Marvel has done so well at creating this shared universe as far as the movies go, and now TVs, of course, that I think people are expecting DC to do the same, but yet it really does seem like the movies now are going in a completely different direction to the point where some of them are really being looked at as as reboots. So where do you think this is going to go? Do you think it's going to be kind of the last hurrah as far as Snyder goes? And if so, does that mean we're we're done with all the nightmare setting stuff because how it seemed and Snyder himself has touched on this when, when talking about the other movies he was going to do is that whole nightmare vision that Bruce was getting kind of in his dreams. Well, nightmares, it was years in the future after Lois Lane had died and Superman was kind of dark side's right hand man. And flash was trying to go back in time to warn Bruce. Only he went back too far before anybody knew what was going on. By anybody, I mean it, I, the, the cast of characters. But yet, this movie left off with another glimpse into that nightmare future. So my hunch, just to kind of steers where I, where, I, where I think the universe is going, is I really do think the next set of movies are going to kind of be a soft reboot, especially since it looks like the Batman movie is going to have nothing to do with these these past movies. So... Do you want the Snyderverse to continue, or do you think they're just kind of going to go in this this new direction, and hopefully they'll have a Kevin Feige that can make sure everything fits as far as continuity? Well, we've talked about this before. When, when it was first announced HBO was going to go ahead through with this, I think I, I cautioned people. I was not going into this movie hopeful. I really wasn't. I was thinking it was going to be a jumbled mess. I made a lot of, of complaints that this is the world we live in of social media where fanboys can be loud enough, even if there's not a large group of them, to force the hand of studios. And I didn't know if that was a, a very good path to go down. I think this movie, it was either going to be a completion of a vision that was never seen before, a completely different movie, or was it a unique set of circumstances between COVID shutting things down and the need for for, for content for these new streaming services and and time heals all all that stuff? I think I think it's a little bit of all three. Truth be told, I don't know if the circumstances are going to arise again. We're ever going to see something like this again, where there was something that was obviously incomplete 
and there's enough fan backlash, and then the, the studio is willing to go ahead and do it because of all the unique circumstances I just named. But I stick by what I said earlier in the last segment that I think that Zach's kind of done. Whether he, whether he wants to walk away or he just senses that they don't want him back, his nightmare scene, his scene on the yacht with Lex and, and Deathstroke was kind of his big middle finger to them because I think he knew that it was going to create a fervor amongst the fans. But I think you're right. I think this is also a cautionary tale to all big studios that don't always jump on the bandwagon because whatever makes it work for one studio, you might find the same set of circumstances. I think you're exactly right in your analogy that they were trying to emulate Marvel. And I said many times on these podcasts, then they need to do it like Marvel. They need to introduce these characters individually in their own films, dangling a few carrots here and there to set up the big team-up movie. They didn't do that. They went a different route. And it still feels to me like it's, it was it was a combination of we want to be different than Marvel combined with the hubris to our characters are so strong and so well-known we don't need to do that. And that's where I think they missed the ball. This four-hour version gave us those backstories. Let's be honest. The whole story of, of Cyborg that we're given in this cut could have easily, outside of him helping break up the, the mother boxes and the unity, could have been could have been done in an hour and a half, two hour movie as 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 a origins movie for Cyborg. You know, absolutely, yeah. So, what I think is going to happen is I think you're right. There's going to be a little bit of a soft reboot. I don't know if we're going to get the Zach stuff. I don't think we are. At least I sense he senses we're not going to get it. That makes me wonder, and this is speculation for another episode. What does that mean with the Wonder Woman movies we have, and the Aquaman movie we have, and the Shazam movie? Because all those were kind of praised. And, of course, we have Black Adam coming. Is that going to affect what they're going to do with that? So, personally, I, I want Joe Magdiello as, as Deathstroke. I want Deathstroke because I love Deathstroke. He's one of my favorite villains. Well, he's anti-hero, really, in DC. So, I don't know. I really don't know where they're going to go. I, I know that the original decision for, for the Joss Whedon theatrical cut was one regime at Warner Brothers. There has been a turnover on that regime they're the ones that, that greenlit the Snyder cut to begin with. So there's always that to play. I mean, it's like we've talked about with Marvel. There was this distinct separation between the movies and the television shows, and that had a lot to do with infighting between Feige and whoever the head of the TV side was. Well, the TV side guy has been moved laterally within Disney, and now Feige's over all of it. And we're starting to see, because of also the, the, the streaming network, Disney+, Plus, more of a synergy between those two aspects of the MCU. Maybe we're like you said. Do you get a Feige type guy? And with the regime change now at Warner Brothers that greenlit this, maybe we do get a shared universe, but they do reboot it. So I, I hope that of all the carrots, so that they dangled, I do think we're going to get Martian Manhunter now. Whether it'll be Harry Lennox or not, I don't know, but I do think we're going to get Martian Manhunter now, and I do think we will get some form of Lantern Corps at some point too. I think those are two carrots dangled that will be paid off. How I don't know, but other than that, I'm. Wait and see. David, what do you think's ahead of out of all this? Well, okay, I, I'm of the mindset we're not gonna get any like proper sequel to this, like from Snyder. I'm I'm with y'all. I think well, I'm with, with you, Train. I think Snyder's done. But you raised an interesting point and it sounds like that it jives with kind of what their approach is gonna be. Because the problem is you do have popular characters in movies, even though some of the group stuff hasn't worked and or like Ben Affleck has pretty much bowed out, even though maybe he's coming back for that Flash movie. It sounds like that Flash movie is going to be used to kind of set up a situation where they can tell stories, where they continue down the path of Jason Momoa's Aquaman, Gal Gadot as uh, Wonder Woman, you know, Zachary Levi's Shazam, hopefully Henry Cavill's Superman. There also sounds like they're going to write an, another Superman story with uh, 
I believe his name's Calvin Ellis Superman, an African-American Superman. Right. But they're also doing Robert Pattinson's Batman. So it sounds like they're kind of introducing this uh, Flash movie is going to kind of justify how they can tell all these different stories that don't necessarily have to interconnect anymore. And I think the quote they gave was something like, basically, all of it's real, and it's all happening in its own place, and what can cross over will cross over, and what is needs to be its own thing needs to be its own thing. So I, I think we'll see some sort of uh, universe like that, which you know also sounds like they're kind of hinting at on the MCU side as well with the upcoming Doctor Strange movie and all mm-hmm. that. So I think we're going to see something like that because you almost have to because even if Zack Snyder's done, you still got to carry on with these characters that we have now last seen in Zack Snyder's Justice League. I don't think we'll see the uh, nightmare reality. I don't think Zack Snyder's going to be back. But, you know, you still got to tell the stories of Momoa's Aquaman, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's going to be kind of the approach. And the only one that we're guaranteed to get that we know so far, because it has been greenlit and filming, I believe production has begun, is the Ezra Miller Flash movie, which is going to be Flashpoint Paradox, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it is effectively going to be a big screen take on Flashpoint. Well, have they cast Thomas Wayne in that one yet? Or are they going to get Jeffrey D. Morgan to come back? Because Jeffrey D. Morgan could pull off the dark Batman Thomas. I, I think. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, I'm a big fan of his, so I, I think he could absolutely do it. Every time I see that scene, I think, you know, in some strange reality, Negan got together with Maggie from Walking Dead, and they gave birth to Bruce Wayne. But, <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah. And, of course, the other thing, quite frankly, is knowing that Jeffrey D. Morgan is a comic book fan in real life. So I don't think they'd have to twist his arm to make a cameo as flashpoint batman i, lo- I love john barenthal as punisher but if they want to do an older frank castle i think jeffrey d morgan could have pulled it off you're both punisher fans i'm sure you agree oh yeah absolutely yeah i could see him doing it i've also said uh gerard butler might be a good and he's kind of old enough now to pull it off so yeah. what do we know about cavill's before you go on set what do we know about cavill superman is it, you said he's still under contract for what how many more appearances yeah, I heard he was he signed a three picture deal. Uh, now, whether they were Superman movies or whether they were just to appear in other movies, I don't like think was made was made clear. Yeah, yeah, like a Flashpoint or or something like that. So, I think we're gonna get him back in some capacity. We just might not be getting a Man of Steel too. Yeah, I think what I heard was I want to say I heard that maybe he's under contract for one more movie as it is. And then there was a report that, and I don't know if it would be a three additional movies for a total of four or what, but that there was a report that he was going to come back and like do kind of like uh, Mark Ruffalo's Hulk does, where he might appear in other movies. Like right. you said, not get a Man of Steel 2, which apparently he really wants, and I would love to see a Man of Steel 2, but like he would pop up in some other movies. But I also don't think any of that was ever officially like uh, verified either. But that report was out there that he had signed on to do some guest appearances in other movies to return to Superman. Well, me and Seth have both gone on record as saying, one, Christopher Reeve will always be Superman in our eyes. But two, we both feel that Henry Cavill has a walk-off home run portrayal of Superman in his bag. It's just finding the right director and script for him to pull it off. And speaking of directors, we, we, we've talked about this a little bit before. I know I've said it on on. Mike before, so I'll be brief, but we know J.J. Abrams has signed this huge deal with Warner Brothers, and it hasn't been officially floated, but I can't help but think that J.J. Abrams is being given the keys to the D.C. Kingdom because his name is being attached to that Calvin Ellis or whatever it is, the the, the Zod Superman from one of the other Earths. Mm -hmm. So I 
can't help but think that maybe J.J. will be behind a reboot of DC because, well, he rebooted Star Trek. He rebooted Star Wars. So I can see why a movie studio would be like, hey, let's get this guy to reboot our product. I'm Mm. not saying whether it's going to be good or bad because overall, I like J.J.'s take on things more or less. But I'm, I'm just not sure if him being the Kevin Feige of the DC movie universe, I'm not sure if that's the right thing or if he'll be directing any movies. But I don't know if you guys had any opinion on that, whether whether it's likely to happen or not. Yeah, I, I think I can see where you're thinking that. I think that J.J. and Joss and a few other people, Zach's another one I throw in there, they kind of hold the collective dreams of us geeks in their hands, so to speak, in live-action movies. I don't know where J.J. – I'm still a little miffed about that. It's not con. It's not con. It's not con. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was con. Yeah. yeah. That, and that, that is J.J. And I will add this. It's late, in the, it's late in the episode, but to get, an, uh, get our obligatory Doctor Who reference in, no matter who does anything, I want to see a David Tennant – version of the Riddler. I think he would be awesome at that role, but I, I'm a Batman geek, so, you know, mm-hmm. take it for what it's Yo, worth. He'd be perfect, He's already, yeah. he already knocked Purple Man out of the park on Jessica Jones. Why not Riddler? What do you, what do you think about, what do you think about a David Tennant Riddler, David? Yeah, I'm all for it. I think he'd be perfect in that role. Yeah, yeah. I, and and, and, and he, I did, mean, he did knock that Jessica Jones role out of the park. You're absolutely right about that. I mean, we just talked earlier, or at least I did, about, about uh, you guys didn't disagree with me, that DC tends to do villains better. He just really plays good villains. I mean, outside of the Doctor, I mean, the vast majority of his roles, it seems, have been bad guys. Yeah, well, and Eccleston's another one I could see. Eccleston, if he was a little bit better looking, as a Harvey Dent. Though I liked Aaron Eckhart's take, but I don't think any of those Nolan guys are coming back. And now, I, I will say one thing. I Even though I like the look, I'm not really sure I want to see it in another movie, and that is the black suit Superman. Now, if I recall correctly in the comics, the black suit didn't have a cape, but... Traditionally in the comics, the black suit was made for recovery, not for fighting in. So right. I, I hope that when or if Cavill steps into the big screen of soups again, I hope we get we we're back to the more traditional blue suit. But I don't know if you guys had any. My take was I was a little disappointed in the Snyder cut. It was another nitpick, but was that he still had the black suit on when they in the theatrical version where it says run down the alley to change he rips open the shirt and it's got the, you know, blue, red, white, and blue. Yeah. The, yeah. So I was a little disappointed. He still had his recovery suit on. Now I, I read some stuff about why, and I guess part of it is the arc was going to take us to where eventually you're going to have that moment. in one of the, I think there's supposed to be what, two more justice league movies. If uh, yeah, Snyder right. had his way. So there was going to be that moment where you got the uh, red, blue and yellow back. So, I guess that's why he did that. But it, to me, it felt a little out of place in this movie that we didn't get that. My son would prefer to see recovery suit without the cape. I kind of like the recovery suit with the cape. So I thought that look was cool, but I'm all for going back to like the theatrical Justice League, one of the really bright version of the uh, traditional suit. Well, I, I concur with Dave there, but I do have to admit the black suit looks bad. I've always been a fan of it. And and, and what something we didn't mention, and I just want to mention this real quick, another carrot that was dangled that i think was part of zach's vision but might be retained no matter who takes over they did definitely dangle a carrot that lois is pregnant and speaking of the black suit that means you could have a superboy prime and he of course wears a black t-shirt with the jeans so Mm -hmm. both you guys are superman guys what are your thoughts on we're already getting that in the tv show you two reviewed a few weeks ago do you see uh, the possibility for that in a standalone movie lois and and clark having a kid and kids empowered and all what do you think dave 
Oh, I could see it. I'm not, I don't know. As much as I like Superman Lois on the CW, I'm not sure I really ever really liked the idea of a Superboy. Like, it's just mm-hmm. never appealed to me. And that way, I know, like, uh, I guess in the comics, what he wears, like, blue jeans and has a black shirt and whatever. T-shirt, yeah. T-shirt, yeah, yeah. T-shirts. Cool. But if it's done right, of course, they can always get me to buy in. That's that's the trick right there, right? You know? <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it's like, if you have something that you've got a strong enough creative vision on that you can make me buy in, even though I don't think I like the premise, then job well done. I didn't think I wanted to see a Doctor Strange movie that bad until I saw it, and now he's one of my favorite characters in the MCU. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Benedict has that effect on people. And and going back to that epilogue of Kingdom Come, when Batch, Soups, and Wonder Woman are at that table, and Soups and Wonder Woman are like, well, well, there's something we have to tell you. And Batman like doesn't even look up from his coffee and he's like, you're pregnant. Yeah, <laughs> and, they're, and they're like, "What? How do you tell?" And the surprise look on both of their faces. Yeah, and, and, and I just love that. Like, still world's greatest detective, folks. And yeah. you, for uh, an immortal Amazonian, you have to put on a few pounds. <laughs> <laughs> and and there, yeah, there's that Jason Lee rant from Mallrats about how only Wonder Woman could give birth to Superman's child. Like, I can't do that word for word on here because we're we're clean rated podcast. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I just wonder when I saw that, I was like, well, they just had the CW show that's going down that that pathway. Do they dare go down that pathway in the movies? I don't know. I, I was kind of thinking it was just a troll when they showed Lois taking the pregnancy test when she's mourning the death of Clark. I was like, well, that's just a troll. But then they removed all doubts when Bruce had bought the bank so he could get the house back martha and it shows martha and lois going into the farmhouse carrying a bassinet i'm like okay that's not a troll now that's <laughs> that's legitimately foreshadowing they're trying to tell us something mm-hmm. all right any last uh thoughts there as we, as we wrap up here dave i'll give you the floor no well, just my take on this whole thing all along was i enjoyed the theatrical version i was more than willing to see what Zack snyder cooked up and he exceeded my expectations so thoroughly enjoyed it uh, the superman stuff was excellent which is the main thing to me because I love that character and I really enjoy Henry Cavill as Superman. So good job on that. So, yeah, it was a rousing success as far as I was concerned. And Train? We have said before many times, if we are demonstrably wrong, call us on it because we understand we're human. I will openly admit I was very, very wrong here. I was not looking forward to this. I thought it was going to be a train wreck, and I'm very, very happy to say I was wrong. I have vast improvement over the original, though I did like the theatrical. But... It also, because of what we speculated on, is going to be one of those great what-ifs. But that's just the way life is. Yeah, I can I can definitely agree with that, because I've said before that I didn't think Snyder was the best director for Superman, but I think he still was a good director for Justice League, because there's more elements than just the shining lights, so to speak, that Superman portrays. So this has been Geekville Radio. Like, like we said at the top of the show, there's going to be kind of a supersized episode, especially for only one subject but again this movie was four hours and so it only made sense that we're going to have three uh, comic geeks talking about this movie that we're going to run for a while but we can be found at geekvilleradio.com if you're listening to us for the first time you can certainly subscribe or follow us on apple podcast google podcasts uh, anywhere podcasts can be found just do a search for geekville radio you'll find us and our family of podcasts and we are on the social media, also at Geekville Radio, on Facebook and Twitter, so you can reply there as well, or you can reply on any post at the geekfulradio.com webs page. And Train, if anybody wants to get in touch with you as far as Superman or music or Punisher or anything else they want to talk to you about, where can they, where can they find you? 
Well, I mentioned it earlier, but I'll mention it again. I'm at crazy train underscore JB on Twitter. That's probably the easiest way to get in touch with me. But I also have that handled across all media, social media platforms. So if you do a search and you find it and it says Jonathan Bullock, that's me. Like I said, if I'm wrong or you disagree with me, by all means, let me know. I'm, I'm, I'm not too proud. I got thick skin. And David McKinney, I know you got a uh, website project that you have as well. So if people want to talk to you about uh, wrestling or comics, where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter primarily, but just go to SouthAtlantaWrestling.com. It's got wrestling in the title, but it's not just a wrestling site. We touch on all sorts of pop culture, whatever appeals to us. We cover retro breaks. Fast food restaurants. Fast food reviews. <laughs> we do. We we talk fast food. I've been working on a Star Wars project for a while now. We taste uh, new sodas. We do all sorts of fun stuff like that. So, SouthAtlantaWrestling.com, and that'll give you a link to all my socials there. So, all right. Once again, this has been Geek for Radio. Uh, thank you, folks, for listening, and we will talk to you folks again next time. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any product or company unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the host and or guests are purely their own and do not represent the views of GeekvilleRadio.com, A1-Wrestling.com, or any affiliates. Some media used on Geekville Radio is the respective copyright of its publishers, all rights reserved. We all are complaining about this movie being four hours long. We all three know that that's going to be about a tenth of the length of this this year's WrestleMania, though, right? <laughs> Most likely. <laughs>